um, have a seat, sit down, because I, I really need to talk to you about something, okay? I really, I really need you to hear me this morning. I need, you to talk, I need to talk to you for a minute. And the reason I need to talk to you is because I want a divorce. Yeah. I want a divorce. I want, a, I want out. I'm done. And I'm leaving tonight. On November, or June 26, 2008, those are the words I said to my wife in our living room of our home on Boyd Avenue, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I caught myself, found myself in the middle of an adulterous relationship. And a lot of you know this story, some of you don't, some of you do, but um, the shame and the guilt and the unworthiness I felt in that moment and in that period of my life is just unmatched. Right? I've, never, I've never felt that again, nor do I ever want to. I still feel unworthy sometimes. I still feel like I don't matter. I still have shame, I still have guilt wrapped up in, in places in the dark corners of my heart. But listen, I can't, I can't begin to tell you how, how unworthy and just, just awful I felt during that, during that time of my life. And I wanna ask you this morning, do you ever feel unworthy? And maybe it's not that, maybe it's not that dramatic, maybe it's not that drastic, but do you ever feel that tension, that pull? And maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe that's why you're, 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 you've come to join us to worship at Legacy. But I need you to really just sit that and ask yourself, is, it, do you feel that way when the lights go out, when you're all alone, you're staring at the ceiling, maybe your spouse is asleep, maybe you don't have a spouse, but you just, you just feel it. You feel the weight. When others are around, maybe, maybe when you're not alone, but when others are around and you're constantly trying to make yourself feel better. You're constantly trying to, to mask what's going on the inside with something that's going on on the outside, right? Faking it till we make it. We all know that term, right? With me, personally, just to, just to let y'all in a little bit this morning, I, ma- I, masked that, I masked that unworthiness and that, that identity crisis that's going on in my heart, I masked that with humor, right? I throw a lot of that out there. I, I shed a lot of humor, right, so that, so that you, guys, you guys won't see what's really going on a lot of times when I'm feeling unworthy, when I'm feeling left out and abandoned. So when that attention is off of me a lot of times, and some of you may relate, but when it's off of me a lot of times, I want it back on me, so I use that because I don't really want people to know what's going on inside, and I want them to, I want to relate. I want to, I want to cross that gap, and the best way I know how to do that is through, is through humor. So what is your response this morning when we're thinking about unworthiness and, 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 and identity struggles and, and approval, the sin, that, the sin that's behind the sin in our hearts? What is your response to that feeling? Right? What is that feeling of unworthiness drive you to? Does it drive you to reverence for God and what he's done and accomplished for you on the cross, or does it drive you to rebellion? Because that's where we're going this morning. Those are the two lanes we're going to steer in this morning is reverence and rebellion. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm not going to let you off the hook because I know everybody that's sitting in these seats in these comfortable plastic chairs this morning has felt unworthy or is feeling unworthy right now this morning. On, on some level, feeling shame, feeling guilt for something you've done, something that's been done to you, something that, something that maybe, maybe you just you don't know yet, but you're still trying to figure it out. So I want you to think about that. Think about that in your jobs. Think about, think about how you work, right, to gain that approval. Think about how you work um, to, to mask that, that, that unworthiness. Our marriages is probably the most detrimental place that we find ourselves feeling unworthy, 
right? Constantly comparing. That, that, was, that was my deal, right? I didn't, I didn't feel like I was a good husband. I didn't feel like I was a good father. So I struggled feeling worthy. How about in your parenting? Anybody in here struggle to parent kids? No, I do. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not immune to it. Sometimes your faith, right? You struggle to feel worthy in your faith. You, you, sitting in here today, you probably feel a little bit like God doesn't approve of you. Some of us struggle with that, approval even from God and our identity and our faith and where we stand and where we rest in that. Students, your studies, got a lot of college kids in here. You don't, you don't, feel, you don't feel worthy. Maybe you didn't make the grade you were supposed to. Maybe you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't answer the questions. Maybe you haven't done the report the right way. Maybe you struggle to figure something out. You struggle through your text to read and, 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 and really figure out the problem. But the key this morning is in that unworthiness, what you're feeling, that, that weight and that pull of your identity. And what I want you to really focus on is where does that take you? What road does that take you down? Reverence or rebellion? Where do you find yourself? We're, we're in John, forgot to mention this, John 12, um, starting in verse one, going through verse eight. That's where if you wanna get your Bibles out and flip, you got a couple seconds, I'm gonna talk. But, but the story, we're gonna look at the story of, 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 of Mary and Judas when Jesus is anointed at Bethany this morning. But just to give you kind of a backstory, so we, last week Luke preached um, on Lazarus being raised from the dead. And I, and I gotta be honest, I mean, that story messes me up, right? Like, I mean, I just gotta pump the brakes. I mean, this guy was dead, right? Did it get anybody else like goosebumps a little bit? This guy was raised from the dead, right? New, or King James text says he stinketh. Right? If any of you are King James people, that's what it said about Lazarus being locked up in that tomb is he stinketh, right? So this guy is dead to the point where he stinks. Now listen, not trying to be gross this morning. I was a firefighter for eight years, and I can tell you dead people stink, okay? So I know what the, when they say that, it, it, I, it has some weight to it for me. And so, so what we're looking at in John 12, starting in verse 1, is when, is when um, Jesus has come to Bethany, okay, and, and he's at a dinner, that has been gathered there for him to celebrate pretty much the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Okay, so that's where I want to start. And we're just going to work through this text. So starting in verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany. It's an important, important word. Therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has, has raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. We're familiar with this story, some of us. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Okay, so first off, Jesus has come, right? Jesus has come to Bethany. Okay, why? Right, why? Because he knows. This is, this is it. He is, he is in, in, in just a few days, he will die. He will be crucified on the cross. So he's coming to that, right? Obedience there. And they're throwing this dinner for him. So so they're, they're celebrating Jesus a little bit. So Martha and Mary's brother, he's been raised from the dead. So they're there giving him this dinner. The text says they gave him or gave a dinner for him there. So they were celebrating Jesus a little bit. This was not at Martha and Mary's house. So Lazarus says Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Now, stop, pause for a second. So, so what do you think is going on with Lazarus right now? Like when I read this story the first time, all I could think of was Weekend at Bernie's. You know what I'm saying? Just like, he's just there, chilling, hanging out. Like, he's got no care in the world. Like, he was just dead. Okay, days, days before this, he was dead. And now he's eating dinner. 
at a table, reclining, laid back, just hanging out, resting. Anybody in here struggle with just resting? Just resting and relaxing and reclining in what God's done? I mean, honestly, now, now, now granted, we know the story. We know Lazarus, you know, he wasn't anything magical or powerful about what's going on in Lazarus' life right now. He's, a, he's still a human being. Lazarus doesn't live forever. Lazarus still dies, right? But, but, but the fact that he's just sitting here reclining just grips me. If he's just sitting here, he has no care about anything. He's just hanging out, enjoying Jesus. It's awesome. And then you have Martha serving, right? In verse 3, it says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This seems really odd to me. Like we're just hanging out having dinner and then some crazy chick busts open a bottle of perfume and dumps it all over Jesus. Is that, is that weird to anybody? No? Everybody's fine with that? Okay. Well, listen, you may have been to an awkward party. I don't, I don't know, but this for me seems strange. But so, so why is this going on? Why is, why is this happening? Why is she doing this? Right? Her, she's, she's sitting in a place where she's feeling the weight of the unworthiness. She's sitting there feeling like, this man just raised my brother from the dead. Like, I have a sibling that has passed away. My sister died nine, ten years ago. Listen, I can imagine the weight that she's feeling here with her brother alive, breathing at the table eating with them. So she takes this bottle of perfume, she cracks it open, and she, she anoints Jesus. And a lot was spilled. This is the whole house was filled with perfume. So just, just catch that for a moment. This wasn't, this wasn't like a little like just drop or like, men. how you do the aftershave where you kind of put your finger over that little hole and you kind of do one of these. No, imagine more like we're christening a boat. We're going to crack this thing open and we're dumping it, right? Some on the feet, some on the floor, it's just, just, just spilling everywhere. There's deep, deep reverence in Mary's re reactions here. Amen? She is showing her reverence for her Lord and Savior. But then enter Judas, verse 4. It says, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Right? So all of a sudden, this awesome story of reverence, we've got Judas entering and asking this question. And listen, when I read it, when I read this story and I know this story, like, like honestly, Judas isn't wrong here. This was expensive. This wasn't cheap. I did the math, right? So 300 denarii back then, that's like a year's wage. So I did the math. The average median household income for Knoxville, Tennessee is $33,118 annually. That's the average median household income. So, so, <laughs> there's a $33,000 bottle of perfume that she just poured out on somebody's feet. Anybody in here use 33 grand? Yeah, that's what I thought. Not many people raise their hand, but y'all's chuckling. I know, I know what's up. So, so understand. So, so understand Judas, it seems at the beginning, Judas seems real like concerned, right? Concerned about the poor. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We could totally have taken this and use this to, to serve the poor. What are we doing here? Like, he sounds really sweet, right? But we, we learn later in the, next, in the coming chapters that, 
that he'll betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, silver which is equivalent to about 1,000 bucks. Okay? So we know that coming, going into the story, the next story. But so, so why is it being wasted? And the, and the point is, Judas is missing the entire point. He's missing the worship that's taking place. He's missing the fact that Jesus is the Christ that will be crucified. Right? He's totally missing the point. It wasn't being wasted. But his heart, you can tell his heart kind of is bent towards rebellion. He's, he's not enjoying it. He's not sitting. He's not resting and not worshiping what God has done. He's, he's looking to see, wait a minute, and we'll, and we'll learn in the next, next text. He's not, he doesn't care anything about the poor. He doesn't say this from a reverent heart. He says this from a rebellious heart. You follow me? So the next verse says, he said this, not in verse, uh, I think it's verse 6. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So wait a minute, he, he's been stealing this whole time. So if you just stop there in verse 4, you think Jesus is a good, Judas is a good guy. Yeah, I mean, what are we doing? Why are we wasting this? And then we learn in the next verse, he's got no care for anyone. He's saying this, he's saying this as a thief. So his response from rebellion comes from the shame and guilt. I imagine he's been feeling, stealing from the money bag for the past three years, walking with Jesus. Does that kind of, does that floor anybody? I mean, is that just, that just blows my mind. And this is the first time we hear Judas called a thief in the New Testament, right? So this is new, new information here. But he's hiding that selfish, um, he's hiding that selfishness with the benevolence of the poor. Right? He, he wants something. His heart is turned towards rebellion, the unworthiness. And I, and I got to be honest, and I'm not, I'm not picking, I don't want to pick on anybody in here, but listen, you got to know something. And, and I don't have a crystal ball where I'm seeing it in the future, but listen, or your lives, but listen, there is a little bit of Judas wrapped up in all of us. Amen? We get there this morning. I know nobody likes to hear that, but look, there's a Judas in me. Right? And I'm standing up here with the microphone. So just know there is a Judas, a little bit of Judas in all of us. And no one gets to say, no one gets to let Judas off the hook by saying, he just didn't have the right friends. Right? He didn't have everything else that everybody else had. Because he walked with Jesus for three years, he walked with God for three years. Who wants to walk with Jesus? Right? I want to walk with Jesus. Three years this man walks with Jesus, and the whole time he's stealing. He walked with the Father. So we're all subject, we're all subject to reverence and rebellion. We're all subject to that. If you, if you have unworthiness, if you have shame and guilt, if you have those things packed down, your, your outward expression of that will be reverence or rebellion. In verse 7, let's keep going. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, at first glance, listen, Jesus seems really arrogant here. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, nobody beat me up, right? But, I mean, it, it comes off the first thing I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's all about him. Like, it looks very inward. 
But he's saying this, understand, he's saying this because the worship that's taking place in that moment, this, this anointing that's happened, this, this pouring out, this wiping of the, of the hair, when she takes her hair down and she wipes her hair, her, his feet with her hair, listen, that's worship taking place through the Father, and he knows it, right? So where we struggle is, why we, why we struggle with verse 7 and why I struggle with verse 7 is because we forget that Jesus is both God and man, right? We're seeing him in this moment as a man. We're forgetting He's there with some friends having dinner, but we forget that he's also God, so he knows the worship is due him, and he is, he's telling Judas, whoa, 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 back up. And if you look at Mark 14, which is the, the corresponding story, he kind of rebukes the disciples, it says. Like, there's, like some of the disciples were like, yeah, yeah. So he's rebuking them at this table. And so three, just you want to highlight, underline these three key things that are said in this verse because this is where the, the meat of it is. It says, so that she, the three, th- three key things she says, so that she may keep it. So he's telling them, hey, hey, she's not going to have me tomorrow. She needs to remember this moment. This is what's going to be with her. This is, what, this is what I want her to remember. She won't always have this moment. This is her memory of me. This is, this is the time when she's, she's worshiping me. And the second thing, he says, for the poor you always have with you. His his statement there is saying, listen, this is worship that's due the Father. Listen, you always have the poor, but, but me, I'm here right now. This is worship between me and you. This is, this is glorification of me, this, what is to come. You do not always have me. It's pointing to his death, right? He's telling them, I won't be here always. He's not saying that. I won't be here in a few days. He's just, he's letting them know that he will die. And so where are we at in this story? Where are we at in this text, in this, in this, in this wrestling, in this, in this struggle of reverence and rebellion? Because we, we find ourselves in a place, I find myself in a place where I'm repealing God's glory, right? And his worship being elevated. Like, I, I struggle with that because something now is made much of and I'm made, mu- I'm made less of. So I struggle a little bit there in that text, in this, in this, in this little ver- eight verses. But this is the dragon, listen, when the dragon comes into the garden, Luke always calls it a dragon, so I like using that word. When the dragon comes into the garden, right, the snake enters the garden, we end up, what happens? Anybody? Shout it out. What happens? We sin. We sin, right? We sin, and then we end up, we end up what? What's our response? Is it reverence or rebellion? Rebellion. Good. Y'all all get an A. So we hide. We run and we hide, and we're using these you know, this, this, we're using creation and masking, right? Adam and Eve covered up with leaves, right? Hiding, running, rebelling from God. Same, same as Judas here. Judas rebelling, running, right? Betraying, ultimately betraying the Christ. I gotta be honest, like, and for me, when I was, when I was walking through that adulterous relationship, when, when, when my wife began praying for me and, and, and God radically saved her, she began praying for me and my heart began to change. Listen, I showed up. I, I, I had a motorcycle at the time. It's really awesome. So I rode that motorcycle to church. And listen, I got to the parking lot and I couldn't walk in the doors because I thought God was going to strike me dead. Right? My self-image, my sin's too great, God. You can't save me. And I left. Couldn't do it. I could not put myself in that place, still rebelling, still running. 
That's, what, that's why we struggle when we show up here. And listen, I, I, I show up here too. I show up here messed up sometimes. I show up here not wanting to worship. I show up here not wanting to put my self-image down. I show up here not wanting to lay my need for identity and approval down and worship God. It's rebellion. That's why we don't ask others for prayer. That's why when we have elders up here for prayer and elders in the back, that's why, that's why we talk about that, trying to, trying to encourage you guys to pray for you guys. That's why we don't see you, because it's, it's too much. It's too much for you. You think, God won't save me. God doesn't love me. My shame, my guilt outweighs his goodness. That's what you're ultimately saying in those moments. You're sitting in your chairs. You have that, you have that argument in your brain. I know this because I do the same thing. That's why I end up sometimes weeping back there in the corner, right? Sanctification is difficult, but conversion is even harder. Our, our hearts are super hard. They're, they're hearts of stone. This is, why we, this is why we're driven to rebellion, because our hearts are so hard. This is why we, this is why we don't want to read our Bibles, right? We don't enjoy reading about the exaltation of something other than ourselves. That's it. We're driven to rebellion, not reverence. This is why we don't, this is why we don't enter into someone else's mess. We're, we're a church that's on mission, right? But are we really? Can we just be real this morning and stop pretending? Are we really on mission? It's scary to get into somebody else's junk because we have junk. I have junk. Right? Went to a, I went to an Acts 29 uh, one-day conference last week, me and Scott. And we were up there, and, 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 the, and the keynote speaker was a lady that had, that had walked in homosexuality for 40 years. And had gotten radically saved. And so we had like a little Q&A time. And so we asked her, what, what's, the, what's the one thing? Like, how can we bridge that gap? How can we sit down with someone and have this conversation? And the first thing she said was, the first response, the, the guy that asked the question said, I'm usually labeled as a, as, a, as a bigot or a racist. And she said, the first thing you need to say is I'm not a bigot, I'm a sinner. That's the first thing. When you sit down across the table from someone or in your neighborhood, across a campfire, or at, or at Shoney's, wherever you hang out with people, it should be you offering and extending your hand of transparency of I'm a sinner. This is what I've done. This is what I am doing. And this is how God is saving me. This is how God is reconciling me to himself. That's the first step when you're looking at helping someone see reverence versus rebellion. We have to see it for us first. But there is a fear of rejection and betrayal. Listen, I get it. Like, you, 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 it's hard to trust people, right? It's hard to sit there and just, and just, and just trust someone unconditionally. And I know, I don't want to leave Mary out of this story. So some of you are like, well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I got a little Mary in me too. I know you do. I, listen, I'm not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna forget you, Marys, right? Okay, so, so we do. There's moments where we have beautiful moments where we, we fall down and we worship God. We, 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 just, we just have deep, deep reverence and passion for what he's done for us, our family members. Listen, I'm often brought to tears for what he's done to my family and the radical grace shown to us. So I know you guys have it too. So, so there is a little bit of Mary's in there. But listen, even, 
The Marys are broken and sinful. Right? In this moment, Mary, Mary is, is showing deep, deep reverence, but she's showing that out of unworthiness. She's showing that out of a deep felt commitment of being, of, of, of just loving God, but she's showing it because she, she's unworthy. She feels unworthy. And our dirtiness and our brokenness will drive us to reverence or rebellion. I hope you're writing that down. Because that's what I want you to know today. That's, I don't care if you walk out of here and don't remember anything else I said. That dirtiness, that sin, that unworthiness, that I need of, of approval will drive you to reverence or rebellion. Because the three people sitting at this table, Lazarus, right, in the story, Lazarus, Mary, and Judas, they're all experiencing different things. Lazarus is raised from the dead, so he's, he's reclining, he's resting on what God has accomplished and done, which is awesome. Maybe still stinking, we don't know. Mary's feeling burdened and, and broken by her unworthiness, and so it's driven, to, it's driven her to get on her hands and knees and pour ointment on the Savior's feet and wash his feet with her hair. Why not a towel? Her hair. And Judas, feeling equally as burdened, right? He's feeling just as much shame and guilt for what he's done and been doing, right? He turns towards selfishness and, and, and murders Jesus in his heart, right? And, and, and then is driven to betray him for a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars. I betrayed my family for a whole lot less than a thousand bucks. So while I, I, I kind of like want to rail against Judas a little bit, I am Judas. I am. Reverence or rebellion. And I think we all have been where Judas is at. I think we all can sit in here and let's just get, let's get honest and deep for a minute and just know that we, we have all been where Judas is at a time or two. So we're not, not immune to this. But, and I'm not denying, again, I'm not denying that we haven't been where Mary's at. We've all had some probably heartfelt moments of worship through the Father. And so, but we, but we, a lot of times we mask that selfishness and resentment, just going back to Judas, masking that with benevolence and pride, myself, humor, right? We've got to learn to be transparent with each other. We've got to learn to live in authentic community, right? We say we live in community, but do we really? Do we really? We're a church of communities, right? For the gospel and by the gospel, but do we really live in community? And I think, I think, I think most of us do. I think there's a lot of times we do, but then I think there's a lot of times where, no, I can't call that. I can't, I can't let that guy into my life. My burden's too much. I don't need him to, he doesn't need to bear that burden. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need to hear my story. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Or yes, she does. Reverence or rebellion? The fact that you won't pick up the phone and call them is rebellion. The fact that you won't let them in is rebellion. Okay? And you can mask it with whatever you want. Right? You can fake it till you make it with whatever you want. But listen, Jesus knows. And then on the other side of that coin, you guys that are sensing things, it's called, we call it discernment in the church world, right? You start sensing something, you know something's not right. How many people have gone home and told their spouse, like, hey, something's going on with him. Something's going on with her. Are you going to say something about it? Or you notice something in someone's life? You're going to say something about it? You're going to talk to them? 
no, I, I can't. Too much. Again, rebellion. So I can get, I can get in Judas' shoes here. I can, I can sense the, the feeling of unworthiness. I can feel the weight, the shame, and the guilt that he has. Because I've been there. What do, we, what do we see? Where do we see Judas end up? I don't want to jump ahead, but where do we see Judas end up after this? Betraying Jesus and then what? Committing suicide, right? That's where we, that's where we see Judas' story end. Listen, that's what, that's what happened with me. My shame, my guilt, my unworthiness was so great. And those idols I was running to, right? Sexual immorality, adultery, pornography, lust, all those things I was running to and running away and rebelling and running away from any reverence for God, right? I found myself in a moment contemplating suicide. Judas. Judas. Reverence is worship. Rebellion is death. You can, you can write that down as well. So what's the answer, Chris? What's the, what's the good news, right? What's the good news? I, I can't wait to get to the good news, the, the, the redemption, the, the solution to our sin, the solution to where we struggle is that God's goodness is better than ours. Period. That one you need to highlight, write in capitals, underline, whatever you need to do. God's goodness is better than anything we can do. What God has done for us is always bigger than what we have done for God. Always. That act of Mary on her hands and knees, wiping her hair on Jesus' feet, God's goodness out, out does that. What better thing can you think in your mind if Jesus was right here, how can we serve Jesus? What can we do to worship and honor Jesus? Well, we can, we can get on our hands and knees and we can wash his feet, right? But get, guess what? That oil that spilled over his feet, that, that washing of his feet was not greater than the washing of the blood over your life. Amen? Come on. God will always have the upper hand you will always be in second place. And it's okay to be in second. I didn't realize that it was okay for me to be in second until a year ago. So you guys have been walking with Jesus your whole lives and you don't, you don't get this yet? Understand, it's okay. It took me a long time to realize that. It took two elders at this church sitting in a booth at Carolina L House to make me realize it was okay for me to be second and let Jesus be first. And nothing I could do was going to outdo his goodness. Does that make sense? Just stop trying to outdo God. Stop, stop running from God. Stop rebelling. Listen, and it's not just stop it. I know that the, this, this, this is something you have to learn. This is something that has to, be, has to be massaged into your heart. And I get that. But listen, if this text doesn't prove that to you, for a long time I saw... I saw my sin as something very, very small, right? It was a small, and I had a small God. Sin wasn't a big deal, right? I mean, I was, I was raised in the church, was baptized when I was 10, right? I had this very, very small view of God and a very small view of my sin. But as soon as, 
as soon as God opened my eyes and my heart and I saw my sin for what it really was, right? Now all of a sudden God has to get super big, right? Because that's the only thing that's going to defeat my sin. If I believe what I believe about God, that's the only thing that's going to defeat my sin is a big, big God. So you can rest. That's what that means. You can rest. You have a big God that will tackle and take out and blow up your big sin. He is bigger than any sin or anything that is controlling your life. Any fear, approval, identity, rebellion, any of that. He's bigger than all of that. So rest today. Rest knowing that that's the case. The cool thing about this passage in the, in the, in the image, if you read it just together, the, the beautiful thing that's happening here is this is a this is a kind of like a precursor to what eternity will look like for us when we get to where we're raised from the dead and we're and we're banqueting right at a table with the father that's what that's what's going on in the story of 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 jesus being worshiped or jesus uh, jesus and at bethany so so understand you should be super super excited about this story and what's going on in the story, what's happening. Read it. Go home today. Reread this story. Not, but not, 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 from, not from anything I've said today, but just from, the, just from the idea of what the passage is saying, just from what's going on with this dinner party. Just think about eternity. So today, when you're back there and you're taking communion, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping stuff up right now, but when you, when you go back and, you, and you're, you're back there and you're taking communion and you're and you're, and you're sitting, I want, you to, I want you to not pretend. Can we just not pretend today? Can we just let that, lay that all down? Let's don't, let's don't pretend that we've got it figured out. Let's don't pretend that God's not working in our hearts. Let's don't pretend that we're whatever. Let's just live, or let's not hide. Let's just, let's just go back there, take communion, and live free. Right now, in this, in this moment, when, these, when this song's being played and, and, and we're worshiping in here and we're taking communion and that's what's going on in a minute, we go back to the back just so everybody has an idea of what's happening there. Let's not pretend. Listen, because when I surrendered, when, when, when I finally gave it up, when, 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 I, when I was able to go back to that church and walk through the doors and listen, when I finally was able just to surrender and just rest in what God had done, and has done and will do for me, when I saw him as big, when I, when I was able to turn my sin into reverence instead of rebellion, when, I, when all that was, was able to happen for me, listen, rest is the only answer. Right? That's all that's gonna come from that is just rest because I had worked so hard to defeat what I couldn't defeat on my own. I needed Jesus. I needed his grace. And when he, when, he, when he came in and I surrendered to him and he, and he, and he gave me new life, listen, it's amazing. So I know that some of you today are struggling with that. I know that there's some, some in here that are struggling with unworthiness. You're struggling with shame. You're struggling with guilt. And so what I kind of want to, what I want to do this morning is leave you. We, we read this a couple weeks ago. Mark read it when, we, when he preached. And I want to I I read this together or read this to you today. And I want this to be something that, you, you, you attach this. So if you go home and you're, and you're, uh, and you're doing a study, you know, you're, you're looking at this passage deeper, I want you to look at Psalm 23 with it. And I want you to read kind of the, the corresponding, kind of the prayer 
that's going on here. And this week, as I prepped and, and prayed over this message, I, I tried to end every time, every session I sat down and worked on the message, I ended it by reading Psalm 23. So if you want to flip over there so you can put a mark or whatever, Psalm 23 in your Bible, we're going we're gonna to read it. And I think Sean's got it on the, on the screen. It says, a Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? All right, go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray real quick. So please, as you said, as you take communion today, whether you do that alone, um, which is fine, um, or you take it as a community group, um, or you take it as a family, whatever that looks like, I just ask, and I'm not, I just ask that you just don't take that, dip it, and pass on by and go sit down. Take a moment and stop, and just ask God, God, show me where I'm failing in this area. Show me where I'm seeing my shame and my guilt bigger than you. Show me where I'm rebelling. Take a moment and just ask God to show you that. As a family, maybe ask God to show you where you're not reverent and then why you're not reverent. Just, just take communion today with a, with a, with a heavy heart, but, but give it over to God. Give those, those burdens, those fears, those cares, those, those, those needs, for, the need for identity and approval and fear, all that stuff. Give that over to God today. God, thank you. Um, thank you for these people, God. Thank you for um, the ability you've given them to listen, God, to, to I hope hear your, your words, not my words or anything that I put on paper, God, but, but God, I pray that your Holy Spirit today, whatever, whatever that looks like for whoever's in this room, God, I pray that they will be changed. God, I pray that, that, that your Holy Spirit, God, will come into their hearts and do amazing work. God, it isn't, sanctification is not easy. The process of sanctification hurts. And we don't get it right. Sometimes we're drawn to rebellion. Sometimes we're drawn to reverence. I know this isn't something that's, that's easy to do, God. As a sinner and a broken man standing before you and before these people, God, I'm saying with an open heart that it is hard. But I ask, God, that you and your Holy Spirit would come and show us where we are weak. Show us where we're, where we're rebelling. God, and then, and then just remind us of the goodness and grace, the radical, radical, scandalous grace that you have for us. God, I pray as these songs are played and we're singing and we're worshiping, God, I pray that our hearts are turned towards you. I pray that our minds and our thoughts, God, that we can lay our burdens down, that we can feel the weight and the heaviness of your cross. God, but at the same time, rest in what Jesus did on it. Rest in the fact that he accomplished it, he crushed it, God, but we know and we hold it in reverence and we worship you in spite of it. God, I just pray that you're with us. God, that you are here. We thank you, God, and we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.